Hello and welcome to Life of Brian. Wonder what is happening in the life of Brian. Why don't we find out? And this is how we do it each fortnight on this podcast. Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is. And there he is. G'day, Kev. I tell you what, I'm totally rooted. And I mean that not in a sexual way. I'm tired. I've had my beautiful daughter, Casey, come up and stay with me. And I think she's a bigger party animal than me. Oh, Impossible. Oh, she goes all right, and she recovers a lot better than I do. You know, she might just there. be slightly younger than you, Brian. Well, yeah, that's well, <laughs> yes. obvious. But yes, thanks. You know, she, she had to catch a plane this morning, and so, well, it was good though. We were swimming in the ocean at like seven thirty in the morning, and that was good. But um, you know, I'll probably have a little nap after this, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, well, you're enjoying uh, the life, uh, and why not? And why shouldn't you? Ah, oh, look, it was just fantastic to finally have one of my family come up here and see my pad and, um, you know, and, yeah, we had a lot of fun, probably too much fun, and that's why I'm so sick or sore. And But anyway, well, all you th- good. You think you're sick and sore now from having too much fun? Wait till you get to the end of this episode because uh, that's going to send you right over the top because it's, it's another beauty, I'm telling you, another beauty. Well. Could you tell me about it, please, Keith? Oh, I will. Uh, coming up later on, Tony Burroughs. Now, Tony Burroughs' fans call him the man with a thousand voices. And at one stage, and we'll t- I-, I talked to him about this, he had three songs that he was the lead singer on in the top ten in the UK in the same week. So on the same episode of Top of the Pops, I... he did three different songs all in the with top three... ten. But with different bands. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. It, it was uh, Love Grows Where Rosemary Goes by Edison Lighthouse. It was, it was, I'm trying to think, it was another band that the name completely has escaped from me now. So you're saying, hang on, wait a second. You're saying that band is totally forgettable and shit else. Yeah, they're called the Pipkins or something. And My Baby Loves Love was the other one by White Plains. So he had three songs. And so he's doing costume changes on the side of stage. And then at the end of the show, and you'll hear in the interview, the BBC. Uh, banned him. I said, you're not coming on the show because people think it's a racket. People think we're making these things up because you're the singer in every band that's in the top ten, and that just that just doesn't look good. So we'll talk to him about that, and we'll talk to him about Beach Baby, which is such a big song, was such a massive song in the mid-'70s. So. We, we should try to get his uh, brother on the show, Kev. Who's his brother? Will Burroughs. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he sang back up on uh, Tiny Dancer, the original Elton John song. Oh, hello. So he's a session singer who decided he was in bands and he decided, no, I don't want to be in bands. I don't want to tour. I want to be at home. So he stayed at home and he was very smart uh, financially. <laughs> so Tony Burroughs is coming up later on. And before all that, though, it's part two of our very good friend Don Most. Ralph Mouth, fantastic. That's him. We're going to talk to him about um, individual Beatles visiting the set of Happy Days and what happened when Ringo turned up, what happened when uh, John Lennon turned up with Julian and uh, those things. We'll talk to him about the Happy Days set and we'll talk to him obviously about the music that he's doing these days and play a really lovely version he's done of, uh, of uh, Old Smokey Robinson and the Miracle Song. Well, two great gets 
from the show, Kev, and congratulations to you. You do a fantastic job finding great guests for us, and today is no exception. And, of course, it's all thanks to our very good friends at Murcotts. Oh, Mark, you're a superstar. He is a superstar, and Mark, I have to say, Mark Lane, who is from Murcotts, that's one three hundred five 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 seven six. If you ring that number and you get Mark, ask him if Beach Baby by First Class is one of his all-time favourite songs. Of course, it is. He's a he's a he's a rock dog, but the, there is you know how we all have those songs. You go, why do I like this song? But I just do. And his is Beach Baby. Well, he's a good mate of Joe Walsh too. So, yes, he know, is. He's got it all happening. He most and certainly And the most has. important thing is that he's saving lives, Kev. <laughs> saving lives by teaching people how to drive yes. properly. And, you know, especially the young ones. That are just, you know, you're 18, you've got your pee plate. You think you know what you're doing, you don't. That's when Mercos come in. And I think I say the number better than you, Kev. Okay. One three hundred triple five five seven six Triple M coming up the next hour with a new one from Madonna. You're such a wanker. Uh, Mercots.edu.au uh, the telephone number, as as said uh, and only said on this program now by Brian Mannix. I just don't think you're as astute as I thought, Kev. It's taken you all this time to realise that I'm a wanker. Oh, no, it's taken me all this time to publicly <laughs> announce that you're a wanker. <laughs> the, so, the knowledge yeah, has been you, there for a long time. You knew it, but you kept it inside yes, to I protect did. me. I did. Well, I thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so give them a call uh, to have a talk to, to what Mark or one of his uh, t- terrific staff and they'll they'll look after you. And uh, no matter what level of driver you're you're up to, you can always get better, trust me. Let's get so to our me, first guest. Ha- hang on a sec, Kev. Yeah. I've got to do the phone number again Yeah, oh, I'm okay. doing it. Here we go. one 576 Sort of sounds sexy when I do it. Oh, <laughs> I reckon people. I reckon people are going to uh, ring up Murkos because of the oh, way I've yeah. done that, and they'll go, "What are you wearing?" Uh, I <laughs> <laughs> high high vis vest. Um. Well, I know. I know that Mark will say a seatbelt. Yes, and that's the right answer to the question. It's the perfect, exactly right. perfect answer to the question. Uh, let's get to Donnie most and find out, you know, how he feels about Ralph these days. I think we should. Is Ralph still a very fond person in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I have such wonderful memories and very grateful that so many people all over the country and all over the world, you know, have a, such a fondness for the character and, and, and still watch it. And, and when I see people at some of these public events I go to, autograph signings, I mean, they get emotional, you know, they get very emotional about how much that show meant to them. I mean, there were people who enjoyed it just, you know, and it was just fun and they enjoyed it. But then there are a lot of people who come up and say, oh, I was going through this during that time and Happy Days was sort of something they could look forward to for some joy or they were ill, they were going through illness. And so many people were beyond just, you know, a nice show that they enjoyed and laughed at where it had even more, more meaning to them and pulled them through difficult times. So uh, it's amazing that, uh, you know, when I think back that I was part of a show that had such a, you know, popularity and legacy and influenced so many people in a, in a positive way. 
And I couldn't appreciate that, you know, back then. It was hard. It didn't really, it was hard to grasp that. Now I have a better understanding of it. And it's, 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 um, I'm very, very grateful that I was part of that show. And, and I can embrace that more now because I'm, it's not the monkey on my shoulder that it was 20 years ago. You've, you've done something that I've always thought would be great fun to do, and that's you've done the voices for a few cartoons. Is, yeah. that, is, is that a lot of fun? It is. I had, a, I had a great time doing those. The first one I did, there was a, they did a show, uh, Fonz and the Happy Days Gang or something like that. They did a cartoon. So that was my introduction to that sort of thing. And I, I enjoyed it. And, and the producers told me, they said, you have a real knack for doing it. You really, you know, have a natural ability for this. So, so one of the producers from that show then hired me to do a, another uh, cartoon called uh, A Teen Wolf. And I did a couple of seasons of that, one or two. And then Hank Soroyan, who created the cartoon for Dungeons and Dragons called me and and asked me if I would uh, play one of the characters. So and that was that was three years and and that's become a bit of a cult kind of uh, thing where a lot of people love that cartoon. You know, I, get, I I was so surprised at the reaction I still get where people some people know me more better from Dungeons and Dragons than Happy Days or they're more excited about meeting me because of Dungeons and Dragons and Happy Days, wow. which is kind of cool and unexpected. Did you pick up a new fan base when you did Glee? Probably a little bit. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to, to measure that and know how much it, that became, you know, a, a source of fans. But, I, I, you know, I do run into people that say, you know, they, they enjoyed seeing me on that. So probably to some degree I did. I would think. Yeah. It was it was fun. I enjoyed doing that. I I because I played uh the father to the character of Emma and um I wound up doing like three episodes and but the crew and the cast they were great. I, it was a really enjoyable experience doing it. Anson Williams and you are obviously still good buddies. I, I see you were supporting him recently. He's running for mayor in California somewhere. Yes, indeed. Yes. Um Anson and I are best friends. We talk a couple of times a week, see each other a lot. Um, he's like a brother. And, yeah, he was, he's run, he was running for the mayor of Ojai, which is a really great community up in the mountains here between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. And um, it's very tight. They, they still haven't – I mean, it's weeks after the election, and they still haven't made an official certification – We'll see. I hope he wins because he'd be great. He'd be great as mayor. I was very impressed and um, well, not surprised, just more impressed of seeing uh, his commitment and passion for doing it and and what he was willing to put up with. And because it's that's a tough it's a tough thing to go through. But um, I hope he wins. I wanted to ask about the Happy Days set. You mentioned going. And, and busting into the China Syndrome set. But do you, there used to be people that used to come to the Happy Days set to, to meet you guys. And one, cele- one celebrated one that I've, I've heard the story of and I'd love you to share it is when John Lennon came to the set. Yeah. In the really <laughs> early days of the show. It was the first season, about the sixth episode. I, I'm pretty sure it was the sixth or seventh episode. So it was very early. I mean, that was <laughs> incredible. That was so surreal. 
I mean, who would have? We're, we're rehearsing a scene in, in Arnold's, the interior and the soundstage at Paramount. And um, we're on a little bit of in between, a little break. And Anson Williams comes over. He'd gone to get coffee. And the coffee area was near the, the entrance to, this, to the soundstage. So he comes over with this funny look on his face. And he says, there's a guy who just walked onto the soundstage. Looks a lot like John Lennon. And Ron and Henry and I are like, yeah, right. John Lennon. Sure. John Lennon's coming to, to see us, you know. And we're laughing. And then like a minute later, we see this guy, you know, with his hair and the sunglasses and, and with a young boy. And we're looking and we go, oh, my God. And we realize it's freaking John Lennon. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And turns out, you know, he was taking Julian uh, doing some stuff with Julian and they were going to go to in, in, in Southern Cal and they came to Paramount because either Julian, well, John was a fan of music of the fifties as we know. And, and I think Julian had watched the show and really liked it. So that's why they picked to come over to the set. And we were, you know, we were like, our jaws were on the floor and he was so not, he was so humble and soft spoken and, lovely you know and just and he, they just hung out asked some questions and we just wanted to watch and and then we see him for the crew doodling on napkins little artwork you know do, doing all these doodles for so of course years later anson says to me why the hell didn't we get some of those drawings <laughs> from that he did the crew got them we didn't get anything but but we got that incredible picture that photo yeah. that we took with him and he was, they were there for like hours, for probably two, three hours just hanging out. I mean, it was just bizarre, totally, but wonderful, yeah. obviously. Un wow. Unlike Ringo Starr's appearance on the set with Keith Moon, which was a little bit different, I believe. Oh, no, Keith yeah. Moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my, yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, I certainly remember it, but not as vividly as for some reason as the one with John. But, but yes, he was with Keith. They were sitting up in the stands where the audience would sit and uh, somebody told me, Oh, you Anson's up there with, you know, Ringo's here and what? So I go up and say hello. And they were both feel, feeling no pain. I'm not sure <laughs> what their choice of their choice, particular choice was whether, I don't know if they had a few to drink or whatever, but they were, they were in a nice space. And um, but Ringo, Ringo I, I remember just Ringo was, was being very sarcastic, very sarcastic and making all these jokes that were, you know, um, I guess a certain maybe, you know, the English sense of humor is also a little different. Yeah. But um, he, he was being a little tough. He was being <laughs> tough. But, uh, but it was still a great experience. I'm like, my God, are you kidding? You know, talking... Whether whether he's putting whether Ringo even if it's a put down that's coming from Ringo is okay. Yeah. You know? Did uh, did I mean you obviously would have met uh, a number of celebrities? Uh, did did Happy Days open doors to meet presidents and uh, all those sort of influential people in your life? Did any of them sort of stick in your mind? I never I never got to meet a president. Anson did. Anson got to meet Reagan, and um, I might have met Jimmy Carter, but I know Reagan. I didn't get to meet any presidents, but I met lots of great people. You know, um, I have another picture 
where I got to meet John Wayne. Uh, oh, Ron, wow. Yeah, because Ron, Ron had done a movie with John called The Shootist. Oh, and, yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. so there was, there was some function at Paramount, and he was there. And uh, so I have a great picture with John and Wayne and Ron and me, Henry and Marion. Um, so, so, you know, there were a lot of people I'd have to, you know, I'm very grateful. Uh, even in our show, you know, Danny Thomas did a did a guest role, and um, there's been a lot of other people I've gotten to meet that were was very exciting for me. So yeah, um, I'll have to really stop and think about it. And well, when I do my memoir, <laughs> I'll I'll put it in there. I, I would imagine you've been uh, asked uh, of many times to do to to write a book about your experiences. Yeah, I have been asked by several people, and I just felt it wasn't time yet. Uh, you know, um, not quite. I'd like to probably at some point, but I, f- I don't know. I just don't feel it's time. May- you know, who knows? I might feel differently next year. Uh, I happened to be talking with Henry Winkler the other day, and he told me that he's um, in the middle of writing, you know, working with a, another writer and <laughs> doing a memoir. So. So um, maybe I won't be too far behind. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, was was Happy Days a uh, a happy set? Oh yeah, we got. I mean, it, you know, it sounds cliche. Oh, you're we're a family and all that, but that was the absolute truth in the way it was. We got along so well. Uh, there was a great camaraderie and chemistry with all of us, and uh, mutual respect uh, professionally, and and got along well tremendously on the personal level. So, um, yeah. And I think that's part of, you know, that certainly contributed to the, to the success of the show You that you can't make that up. It, it's there or it's not. And it, and it comes through, you know, when it's there. Yeah. And it was. Didn't you just have a softball team, a happy day softball team? You go play softball against other shows and things for charity. Is that right? Yeah. And that's, that's another thing that probably helped bond us. Uh, Gary Marshall, it was his idea to form a, a team. He loves sports, and he saw that Ron and I and Henry played on a competitive entertainment league softball, and Anson played a lot of ball, so he knew that, and he loved ball. So he said, we should form a team, and, and Tom and Marion and Aaron could play too. They set it up where we wound up playing games in the major league stadiums all across the country, pre, you know, pregame b- before the major league game. And we'd play against the local radio station or something like that. In, in some cases, it was one time we played against foot, you know, NFL football team. I think it was the Miami Dolphins. Uh, that was the one game we lost, I think, because we won most of our games because we won, we had a really good team. Henry became a really good pitcher. And well, I played center field and, and Ron was really good in left field next to me. Hanson was a good athlete. He played various positions and uh, then we brought in some of our some of the guys that were like background at Arnold's some of the guys that were always you see at Arnold's mm-hmm. people say we really had some ringers no they were a part of our happy days family you know but we wound up with a, a good team but we played in you know Wrigley Field in Chicago or Dodgers Stadium wow. and uh, up in San Francisco at the time it was Candlestick Park in Milwaukee County Stadium where Happy Days was supposedly set in Milwaukee. So we had a huge following. So we had 40,000 people for our game 
but you know, which was out at two hours before the regular game started, they were already there for our game. It was a huge deal. I'm sure that contributed to our bonding. That kind of experience was amazing, you know, going to all these cities, playing in the major league parks, and then hanging out in the dugout and meeting all the players. And it was like, you know, fantasy camp. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. Wow. It's an amazing time for television. With it had Laverne and Shirley and and Happy Days and all that. Gary Marshall is a is a, a man who uh, I, I don't think in this country anyway he's probably not a, a massively known name. But it, God, he was a he was a big figure in television in that era, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he done. A, he started off uh, with our director, our great director Jerry Paris. Gary and Jerry worked together on the Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah. Because Gary was one of the head writers and Jerry directed most of those episodes. So um, we had them and and then then Gary had The Odd Couple after that. Wow. uh, With with Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. That was his show. Then Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and they had some other spinoffs. And then Gary went off to do a lot of big hit movies, you know, like Pretty Woman and and uh, gosh, so many others. Uh, the Flamingo Kid was before that. Did he do but, a league um, of their own? No, that was his sister. That Penny. was Penny. Yeah, okay. Yep. Penny directed that. Yeah. So, um, but but Gary did quite well. Had a lot of a uh, lot of uh, hits, uh, hit movies. Yeah. What happened to your All Roads album that you put, uh-huh. out, put out in nineteen seventy six? Seventy six. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a case of where. I ran into, there was a guy who's uh, doing an interview with me for some magazine and, and he, he knew a record producer and he thought that uh, I should meet the record producer and think about maybe they could get me a record deal because they knew from the time I was doing the interview that I had, I had been a singer before an actor. So they said, oh, well, maybe you could, we could do a record. So um, I, I liked the producer and we decided he was able to get a, a deal for me at United Artists, which had, was a big label at the time. And it was obviously based on, they figured the popularity of the show, they could make that work. Um, but they wouldn't let me do the kind of music I really, you know, that I was comfortable, you know, that I loved performing, which is, you know, the jazz standards and that sort of thing. So we had to pick more pop rock and, but we, you know, found some interesting songs, and and I enjoyed it. It was a great learning experience. There were some nice that came out pretty well. You know, um, it's not my favorite, but it was great at the time. You know, for me to have that experience. Then now years cut to thirty years later or forty years later. Now when I go back into the studio doing the music, that's in my blood from the time I was nine years old and singing in fourteen and getting to do it. I I I already had that experience in the studio, which was invaluable, so that I was able to get right into it. And and I'm very proud of. I did a CD that came out about four years ago called uh, D Most Mostly Swinging, and um, with a fabulous uh, producer arranger named Willie Murillo, who's one of the top trumpet players in the world, and um, a great arranger and and. It, it was a killer, killer experience. So the top, some of the top, you know, jazz guys in LA, and it swings. It totally swings, and and um, you know, I was in good form, and it's it's an excellent CD. But this new one coming out is going to be a little different. Still a lot of jazz standards, but it's not 
big band. It's a more contemporary jazz setting with just like a, you know, uh, rhythm section and, and maybe a saxophone in there or a trumpet or, or, you know, guitar solos. And, um, and then mixed in with a couple of songs from the, from that classic rock era, like smoke from a distant fire. And we did another one that was a Smokey Robinson hit called Ooh, baby, baby, which is, came out great. And so that's going to be on the CD too, along with, yeah. So it's a nice little, little, variety a little different kind of feel yeah so we're going to see yeah, you man. soon in far haven that was the film you were shooting just recently yeah far haven a, a western my yeah. first western and i had a blast it was um we got to shoot it in arizona in a area where they out in the middle of nowhere we all you see is prairie and mountains and they built a western town uh, for some movie back probably in the 60s and now it's been used in a lot it was also used in tombstone the movie tombstone and the quick and the dead and so many others so it's a great set we have wonderful wardrobe uh which i felt really comfortable in and and had a blast so i'm looking forward to seeing how the movie i think and there's a good script with a lot of other great actors um i'm really excited looking forward to this one coming out and before that that's probably not going to come out you know, for six, nine months. But with the same production company, I did a film called County Line, No Fear, uh, with Tom Wopat and Casper Van Dien. And it's kind of like a modern Western. I play sort of this low-level career criminal. And there's a little bit of comedy in there as well. So that's going to be out probably in January. And that's called, like I said, County Line, No Fear. So that I'm looking forward to uh, having that out and seeing how people react. I think it came from, I got to see it for the first time and it's really good. It's really good. So you still uh, got, good. you still got it. I still got it. Even at <laughs> 69. <laughs> Can I just ask you one quick, stupid question, Donnie in season one of happy days, Richie's got an older brother called Chuck. What happened yeah. to Chuck? <laughs> I know. How many people have asked me that question? <laughs> Every, it's like, what the hell happened to Chuck? Well, um, I guess it was a mutual decision that after the end of season one between the actor Gavin O'Hurley and the producers, that his character wound up having, they didn't have anything for him to do. I think originally they thought there was Richie with his family and there'd be Richie with Potsy, you know, and then maybe his couple of other friends. Because originally Fonzie and Ralph were peripheral characters. Mm. And so they thought that would be Richie with Potsy and Richie with his family. Well, then it started becoming that they liked uh, Richie and Potsy with his friends and the stuff at Arnold's. And that got bigger and bigger. And, and they didn't know what to do with Chuck's character because they'd, they'd set him up as a sort of a dumb jock who would come dribbling through the living room and deliver yeah. a funny line. And they didn't do much more with it. They didn't know where, where how to use him. Mm. So, so the 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 actor was frustrated, and so I think they mutually decided uh, to part. And then they said, "Okay, he went off to college." And and then, like about two seasons later, they had an episode where they had Richie wanting to move in, get out of the house, and move into the apartment with his brother in college. So they hired a different actor to play uh. Chuck. <laughs> 
and that was it, you know. So no truth to the rumour that uh, that Potsy and Ralph had uh, had Chuck whacked so as they could get better, better life. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that's just a, a rumour and no, no uh, validity to that. <laughs> hey, hey, loving loving the music that we're hearing from you and uh, and look forward to seeing these, these movies and just want to say thank you so much for spending so much time with us, Don. It's been uh, an absolute delight for us. Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure and glad you were persistent because um, I, I did want to do it. It was just cr- some busy, crazy times, but I'm glad you 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 hung in there and thank you. And I, I had a great time talking to both of you. And if you come to Australia, we want to catch up. Uh, it's been uh, absolutely delightful. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I can get a tour have down you, there. Have so you ever been here? No, so I have to. I have oh, okay. To. There and you go. What better way than to do it in a tour? So maybe, you know, maybe that'll happen. We'll see. Yeah. I'll keep my fingers crossed. That'd be great. Thank yeah, you, Don. Really, really good. Thank you, Don. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Don. My pleasure. Nice talking with you both. Thank you. It's an old Smokey Robinson and the Miracle song that Donnie talked about uh, during that interview, and uh, and we thank him for his time. He was uh, he was terrific. Took us a while to track him down, but uh, uh, keep your eyes open for those couple of movies he mentioned too that are that are coming up soon. And you never know, we might get him here one day to sing. Well, I like the idea that him and Anson Williams coming out here to you know him and Ralph Melton and Potsy singing some cabaret, I'd go to see that. It'd be yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. If they told some stories about happy days and, and all that stuff in the middle of it, it'd be, it'd be terrific. All right. Well, that is all right. Ralph Melf. Now we move on to the man with a thousand voices and it's not Brian Mannix doing the Murcott's telephone number. Or is Donald Trump impersonation? It's really great. The world has never seen anything like it. <laughs> Okay, I've got to work on with Donald Trump. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and that incidentally is Brian's whole repertoire. Whereas Tony Burrows, our next guest, is uh, is uh, deemed as the man with a thousand voices because he's been on so many hit records, so many commercials, jingles, you name it. He's been on it. So let's uh, have a chat to uh, the man himself in London. Let's get the hell out of here, Kev. <laughs> that was John Wayne. Not very good. Hello, it's that pesky bloke from Australia calling again. 
Yes, hello. How are you, Kenny? <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Tony. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. Good to hear you. How are, I'm, how are I'm you? fine. Oh, well, let's talk about this wonderful uh, and varied and and very different career of yours. Uh, well, it's a long time ago, Kevin, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but I remember it very fondly, as as you probably do too. Um, uh, I mean, blacklisted by um, by the BBC, uh, you know, not played on radio for two years. You've, the controversy that uh, that surrounded you, well, well, not controversy really, but it was quite quite unbelievable. Well, that's absolutely really. right. Yes, so I was I was banned for two years. Uh, I could get plays on capital, you know, the, uh, the commercial stations, but uh, but I didn't get anything from uh, the BBC. And the BBC at that stage, I mean, Top of the Pops and the BBC and all that was very powerful in, in terms of making hit records. I, absolutely, absolutely it was. I was told uh, the producer came to me after I actually performed three items on the same show uh, and said to me, uh, Tony, I think you should know this. The word has come down from above <laughs> that you, you're not to be used. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, you asked me to do the shows. <laughs> uh, and he said, well, it's nothing to do with me. It's just that uh, people think it's a con. So what sort of con can it be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it must have been, it must have been, must have been funny for people watching at home to see the same bloke singing, uh, you know, Edison Lighthouse, White Plains and Pipkins, I think, were the three songs at that time. Absolutely right, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we tried to camouflage ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I was changing clothes on the side of the set because there wasn't time to go to a dressing room. Uh, which which interested the, the young ladies, I've got to say. <laughs> uh, my, one of my personal favourites that you've done, Edison Lighthouse, Love Grows Where Rosemary Goes, I think is just a great pop song. Did you think that the minute that you heard it? Yes. I've got to say, yes. Uh, John Carter, uh, and who wrote the song, uh, sent me a demo uh, of him playing guitar and singing it. And I said, that sounds like a hit to me. Why don't, uh, why don't we do it? And, uh, well, that's, uh, that's basically what happened. Uh, there were only three, uh, voices on, on the uh, record. Uh, a guy called Chaz Mills, uh, John himself and me. And I did the leads and, 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 Remainder is in the past. <laughs> uh, is that is that your favourite of the ones that you did at that time, from your personal point of view? Well, it, it was the most successful. Um, I mean, I'm not sure I could say it was uh, my favourite. Uh, Roger Greenway, who, who wrote an awful lot of this stuff, and uh, is my is my oldest friend. In fact, when I uh, I met him when I was 15. Yeah. Anyway, that's by the by. Uh, I wrote a song called Home Loving Man with Tony McCauley. Yep. And I did the original version. Unfortunately, he then took it to America where he played it to Andy Williams and said, he said, I've got to do this record. 
And I said, and he said, uh, Roger said, uh, well, uh, we haven't recorded it, but, uh, and, and Andy Williams said, well, I'm afraid, uh, in that case, uh, you know, we can't use it. And, and so with that, my record was stopped yeah. and his was, uh, was released. Probably be my, my favorite recording. Because it was a solo one as well. Anyway, that's again by the by. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Well, Roger Cook and Roger uh, Greenway were were in that Kestrels band. That you was was that your first band? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, I think I was fifteen. Wow. I actually went to work at the ESNA Robinsons, which were a paper manufacturer company. Right. Uh, and uh, and Roger worked there as well, and a guy called Roger Mags, and we used to go into the uh, dungeons downstairs and rehearse, and then uh, we formed the Kestrels. And the Kestrels supported the Beatles twice, didn't you, on two tours? Yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We, we were exactly that. I did the... Uh, I did Ireland. I didn't do, I go to America with the Beatles, but I did uh, an awful lot of, uh, of concerts with them. They paid us extra to go on immediately before them because you couldn't hear anything. It was just a one permanent scream. Oh, God. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. We used to talk amongst ourselves, to be quite honest. <laughs> They were big then, but did you have any sort of semblance in your in your head that you were playing with the band that would go down probably as you know, if not the greatest one of one of the not two greatest the bands of all time? No, no, I really didn't. But uh, we were actually touring uh, with uh, a young lady called Helen Shapiro. Oh yeah, who you may know. Yep. And uh, she was closing the uh, the second half, and the Beatles were closing the first half. Midway through the tour, uh, the uh, producers said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to change the running order. Helen, you're going to close the first half, and the Beatles are going to close the second half. <laughs> that was that was my first sort of intro into the, uh, you know, into them. There's a story I read uh, in, in reading about you that you taught them to bow or something. Was that something so as they could meet the Absolutely Queen? Right. They were doing uh, a command performance uh, at the Palladium, and they always said, how do you manage to bow all together? <laughs> <laughs> and we said, well, to be quite honest, we were in the army. And it's, you know, uh, we did national service together yeah. uh, for two years. Uh, and, and we said, well, it's very simple. What you do is count one, two, three, and stand up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what they did on this command performance. It's a great story. Hey, uh, you obviously, you knew the, the songwriters. I mean, you talked about John Carter and, uh, and Roger Cook and Roger Greenway. So you knew the songwriters. Yeah. So is that why, is that why well, they were just ringing you up saying, look, I've got this song. Can you come in and sing it and we'll see what happens with it? Is that how it worked? Absolutely. Uh, I, I was very lucky. I knew we were in the right one. They were only about uh, 
eight or ten writers at that time, and we're talking about uh, quite a long time ago. Uh, and I was doing recording sessions. I decided to to stop touring. Uh, I toured for well, two and a half years with the Flowerpot Men and and uh, and the Ivy League and and the Kestrel, and I'd done touring. And I thought, uh, I'm going to go and, and concentrate on session work, which is exactly what I did. And and that's really how it happened. So Love Grows was a was a big hit. Was there Were you tempted at any stage to become a part of Edison Lighthouse and go on the road again? Did, did, did any one song or any one moment tug at you to go, yeah, you know what, I should go on the road, I should do this because the, this is going to be huge? Well, uh, I, there is a story about around that. Uh, Tony McCauley and Barry Mason, who wrote the song, uh, I was doing backing vocals on five titles which they had written and uh, tried to get out of the recording contract. And so they recorded them without any lead vocals. All right? And I was doing backing vocals with... with and Sonny and all the people. And uh, Lou Warburton, who produced the, uh, the, the songs, said, um, I recorded something by uh, uh, Roger Greenaway, You Got Your Trouble, the ballad version. And uh, Lou said, I, I've never heard that. Can I play it in the studio to Tony McCauley? And Tony said, yeah, that's fine. We're on a break. I played it. And halfway through, Tony, came, Tony McCauley came to me and said, uh, do you want to sing me on this? And I said, well, yeah, if you like. And I'll, I'll do that. So I did, basically. There was no group. There was just... Uh, me and backing vocalists and, and, and the studio. The band were, sorry, this is my dog. Okay. <laughs> did you hear that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, will you stop that? <laughs> stop it. Either go out or stay in. Right. He's only, uh, five months old. <laughs> sorry. Uh, where was I? Uh, you're talking about you've got your troubles. Right, uh, and uh, and I sang uh, the lead on Edison Lighthouse. Uh, it wasn't called Edison Lighthouse, and that's another story. It should have been Ediston Lighthouse, <laughs> but somebody forgot the key. But anyway, that's another story. Okay. And there wasn't a band at the time. So they, there was a, a band from Slough in, in Berkshire uh, who auditioned. Uh, they auditioned several bands, to be quite honest. And they said, uh, Tony said, you know, I've got to have a band. I've, you know, Tony McCoy said, I've got to, uh, it's a band record. It's, it's a group record. Right? And I said, well, you can buy me out of it if you like. Uh-huh. Uh, and I mentioned a figure which he should have bitten his hand off for. Uh, and, uh, and he said, I'm not going to pay for that. I'm, I'm not. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do the television promotion and that's it because I wasn't 
particularly fond of the band. Ah, okay. Uh, and so that's exactly what happened. And I never, ever worked live uh, apart from one gig for Edison Lighthouse. The other one that, that obviously was a big, big, I don't know if you know how big a uh, hit uh, Beach Baby was in this country, and, and the funny thing about that is that it was obviously released in the middle of summer in England, which was the middle of winter here, and it was still a hit. Really? Well, of course, I suppose it was, yeah. Um, that was our tribute to the Beach Boys. Uh, we always, uh, you know, had had the Beach Boys as our favourite artists. And it was our tribute to them. And they, uh, uh, another little story, um, I hope I'm not rambling, by no, the no, way. No, 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 go right ahead. I'm, I'm all ears. Okay. <laughs> Brian Wilson was doing uh, a blind date in Australia, funnily enough, and, uh, you know, a blind date, they play records and say, uh, who is it or what is it, you know. Yeah. And they played Beach Baby, and he said, well, I've no idea who it is, but it's definitely uh, West Coast America. <laughs> uh, huh. So, I mean, that was a tribute in itself. And, and in actual fact, I've met... Uh, and the guys oh, four or five times, they play our record of Beach Baby in before the show starts, and uh, always do. They always play Beach Baby, and and I take that as a great tribute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you should. I, I've seen it described by some. I don't know who said this, but they they said the the best song the Beach Boys never recorded. Well, uh, you know, that, that, that is very nice and very nice of whoever said it. Uh, there are only three voices on the recording, to be quite honest, on Beach Baby. Uh, again, John, Chaz, and myself. 
And we overdubbed and overdubbed and overdubbed. That was the way it happened. Well, I mean, the Englishmen have never been renowned for, you know, summer songs, let's be honest. No, they haven't. We have never had a summer. Well, we've had one in 1976. But we've uh, we've had recently uh, had a drought, okay, and so it's not rained at all. And it's still not raining. Yeah. <laughs> But back in 1974, when Beach Baby came out, England, England was not renowned for its uh, for its beautiful summers. No, where people it wasn't. I was 74, I think, the record came out, wasn't yeah. it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was you, a long time ago, Kevin. Yeah, it is. Oh, no, it is. Uh, uh, but the, still, the funny thing is it still stands the test of time, that song. That is a song that still bounces out of the radio to this day on radio stations across this country, and I'm sure it does across the uh, the other parts of the world well, as well. Does. It does, thankfully, and uh, uh, I always insisted if I was featured on something that I got a royalty, and I'm very pleased that I did. <laughs> Good for you. Good move. Most people don't do that, but I'm glad I'm, I'm pleased. I know they I'm don't, but do. I was, uh, you know, I said, you know, doing sessions all the time. Uh, I mean, it was a crazy time with sessions. I was doing uh, ten to uh, three hour sessions, ten to one. Uh, two till five, seven till ten, wow. and uh, when can you make it? And it was <laughs> seven days a week. It was just crazy. Wow. I saw a stat where uh, you think you may have sung on something like 100 top 20 hits of the 70s in the UK. Probably something like that, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get a, a royalty on all of them. <laughs> the only ones that I got royalties on were... Uh, were uh, featured. Yeah, you uh, you did some backing vocals with Elton John and a couple of his. I mean, Tiny Dancer is for me uh, one of the best Elton John songs ever, and you sang on uh, some backing vocals on that. That's absolutely right. Yes, uh, that Dust Dudgeon produced all, all that with with, with Elton, um, and we used to start at uh, ten o'clock at night and go through the night. Oh wow! And. Uh, uh, my wife uh, to be wasn't my wife at that time. Uh, was a dancer in, in t- television shows. She uh, had to come back from Manchester to the studio and sleep on a couch. All right, because I was recording all the you know, way through, and, <laughs> which is which is quite a story. She was actually sleeping when they recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a very good song, very good song. You should be very proud of being a part of that one as as well as the others that oh, you've been involved I certainly am. I did a couple of, couple of live shows with, with Elton. Uh, I went to Paris and saw him and I did all sorts of things because we came up together. He was actually a session musician. Yeah. As yeah. I was. Well, I'm, 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 uh, my memory is that he played on some Holly stuff in the early days, played some piano on some Holly stuff, and might have even played on some early Bee Gees stuff as well. Yeah, um, uh, well, he did. Uh, and, and, and your session um, work included, uh, in the end, uh, a, a lot of advertising jingles, including that, that famous Coca-Cola jingle. That's right. Uh, I was tutoring with James Loft at the time. I don't know whether you know James Loft. Yeah. He had a big band. Oh, yes. Uh, and I was in, oh, in touring Germany, and this uh, actually was 
in uh, in Italy as well, and I had to fly back overnight to record it because I knew it was going to be a monster commercial. And uh, of course, we we were paid uh, residuals on, on commercials. Nice. And of course, it was I'd like to teach the world to sing, which I think New World or the New Seekers then uh, then then made into it got made into a hit record. You weren't offered the chance to sing on that. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Pity. <laughs> no, I mean uh, you know we were basically session musicians, okay, and so that was re-recorded, of course, and and they used the Seekers, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I found out about you when I was reading, you're a bit of a cricket tragic as well, are you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I used to play a fair amount of cricket. Also. I mean, only, only local cricket. My son, incidentally, played for Hampshire. Oh, right. So uh, uh, I brought him up in the right way. <laughs> Very good. And I'm still a Lord member for my sins. I'll just mention those two words that frighten every English uh, cricket fan uh, and have done and should do for many, many years. That's Lily and Thompson. <laughs> Lily and Thompson. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, uh, fond memories. I know. Uh, they, they, uh, they were some boys, I've got to say. I scared Ignorance, that's for sure. When you look back, Tony, on 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 the career and and that, uh, any any regrets, any any sort of thing that you think, you, apart from obviously the Andy Williams song that he took and, and turned into a hit, and you missed out on that one. Anything else? Yeah. Um. Basically, uh, no. I mean, I, I've been very lucky. I, I've had a career uh, which never really uh, was a proper job. <laughs> and still not. I mean, I, I've just been—I just had to turn down a tour in in in, uh, in America uh, three months, and I—it's just impossible. I'm far too old, you know. Do you still sing these days? Do you do any singing at all these days? I don't. I keep the, the voice going, but uh, I don't do anything now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I I have to turn things down because I made a conscious decision. Uh, when I reached eighty, <laughs> I was going to retire. I wouldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm so pleased that you uh, you, you relented and uh, and and had a chat to me. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed having a chat to you. It's been. Marvellous to catch up. Uh, Love Grows Where Rosemary Goes and Beach Baby are two songs that I think will be still coming out of radios when both of us are long past and uh, and you can be very proud of, uh, of what you achieved, particularly with those two songs. Thank you very much indeed. I do appreciate it, Kevin. No, it's been great catching up. Thanks thanks for agreeing to talk to me. I really do appreciate it. Okay. All the best. and uh, See uh, you uh, again sometime. Yes, that would be lovely. And enjoy the cricket. Cheers. Bye. All right, we talked about the the song Beach Baby there and we mentioned that uh, Mark Lane from Murcotts, it's one of his all-time favourite songs. So we're going to finish the show with the full version of Beach Baby. So that's coming up, the song the Beach Boys never recorded, but probably could have. A lot of people actually think they did. Uh, So... Uh, Sorry, I was just going to say, it is a song, if you're going to listen to it, if you're listening, you're going to listen to it, put your seatbelt on. Yes. You're in for a ride. You're yes. in for a ride. And Mercots want you to be safe. It's a good song, Beach Baby. It's a really good song. It has it has stood the test of time. Well, not the most inspiring lyrics, no. but 
Pretty appropriate, though. Like where I live, it's like there's lots of beach babies. Oh, here we go. How about me, eh? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. You're right. I am a wanker. Yes, you are. <laughs> it's, the name of this, it's the name of this episode. We finally outed him. Um, now, I want to remind you about Mercots. Uh, Mercots.edu.au, that's the website. Go and have a look at all the different uh, defensive driving courses, advanced driving courses, driver education. You can do all that, or you can pick up the phone. And the number would be 1300555576. What are you wearing? Call me now. What are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'll change the number now. It'll be one three hundred five five five. What are you wearing? Um, I, I tell you what, though, if you're in the nude and just wearing a seatbelt, that buckle can get really hot in the sun. Yes, it's something that people need to be aware of. That I don't want anybody burning themselves. No, or cold. It doesn't. It doesn't react well to cold. The old seatbelt either. Not good. No, and neither do I. No, not good. Uh, well, you don't have to worry about it because you're there in the uh, rock star penthouse on the Gold Coast, so enjoy that. And, Avoiding uh, the shrinkage at any cost, Kev. And uh, on the next uh, Life of Brian, Mick Peeling from Stars and uh, his uh, new uh, best buddy uh, and guitar player, Nick Charles, will join us. So there'll be uh, two of our guests that we'll have on the next one, a couple of surprises in store as well. They were really cool, actually, in that um, what they – spoke about with some of the international bands that they'd supported, I found that really, really interesting. It was great. Oh, they've thrown them under the bus big time. <laughs> well, I didn't want to give it away, Kev, yeah. but cheapest creepers to the Beach Boys conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the song you're about to hear sounds like the Beach Boys, but not like how uh, they played uh, when uh, when stars uh, did the did the shows with them. But we'll talk about that next week with, uh, with Mick and Nick. Uh, look after yourself, Brian. Uh, look after yourself. There's a stars song. Very good star song too. That's a great star song. He's a great song. But we're going to finish with Beach Baby. So till next time, go and hit the surf, Brian. Here we go. Kev, I'm going to go and finish with the Beach Baby right now.